Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis. I'm Dallas. And I'm Anne. And today, I actually was so blessedly given the opportunity, finally, to pick one, (laughs) to pick our book of the week. And when I tell you that this was so lovely, so lovely, actually came to me through a Twitter thread that my brother did on our page, and I scoured the comments, and lovely suggestion from uh, comics book, comic book, Couples counseling, actually. I went back and looked because I was curious of who had actually suggested it in that thread. And they suggested it to us. And we are reading The Last Musketeer by the Norwegian cartoonist and illustrator and artist and wonderful connoisseur, Jason. And this is my first Jason book. And it's so fun. Yeah. So for anyone that's new to Jason comics, this is a great place to start. He has a very distinct artistic style, except for his very earliest work. It's a little bit different, but he found this pretty quickly and has stuck with it. This sort of anthropomorphized dog, cat, bird people mixed with all of his high literary illusions. Like it's always this guy reads the classics and he wants to see them as funny dog people with some slapstick comedy sensibilities. Um, Jason, or his real name, John Arne Satoroy, is a Norwegian cartoonist who has been working since the 1980s, but made his big crossover to America with translated work in the early 2000s. And you can get all of his comics from Fantagraphics, which we'll get into a little bit later with one of the listener questions. Yeah, this was I. This was the first time I'd I'd heard of it. Someone put when we put it on the um the schedule. I just thought that someone had missed like a last name or something like the Last Musketeer by Jason. Are you like Jason Aaron? Jason who? What are we What are we doing? What are we reading? I'd never heard about this guy, but the moment I saw the cover of the Last Musketeer, I knew instantly who it was because even though I'd read none of his comics, I've seen the character character athos before and i've seen that art style before i don't know who's been talking about it but i know someone has at some point poster talked talked about this specific artist and it was just instantly recognizable instantly um iconic and it was something i was very eager to check out i was surprised that this comic was only about 50 pages long yeah so me too i was actually sad i got (laughs) A text from Alexis about that, actually. And I think it's an interesting way to talk about European comics and how they Mm -hmm. are different than American comics, specifically French comics, kind of lead the way for the rest of a rest of European comics to follow, where U.S. comics are either released as single issues, which are between 20 and 30 pages that will then be collected into trade paperbacks or omnibuses. But all of that is really just how many single issues can be crammed into one cover. But the the method of distribution there is the single issue. One chapter of a long story put out every single month from the creative team. Or 
because of people like, I mean, Will Eisner is the one that invented the graphic novel. Fun fact. We will probably cover that next year. The Contract with God trilogy, which are like incredible. But there is something called the graphic novel, which is usually novel length, about 300 plus pages of graphic storytelling without any major chapter breaks or the same structure as the direct market single issue. That's how America does it. That's the two camps you can fall in if you want to do comics in America. Now, in Europe, uh, the artist Herge, who created Tintin, really pioneered the format over there where they have just much larger pages in general. The comic books are bigger. They're square shaped. They're more of a folio. And it is a contained story that comes out about once a year that is roughly 60 pages. Like you are supposed to get a soft cover, big square of comics from your favorite artist about once a year. That is a new story with their established character that no one else does. Like there's no corporate comics in Europe. There is no DC comics that owns Tintin and also Jason's characters. And also no, like Herge owns Tintin. That's his character that he returns to and does a lot of work with. Jason has his characters that are often just adaptations of public domain characters. So like these, this last musketeer is one of the musketeers from the French novel, the three musketeers. Like these are just those characters. And since they're public domain, they get to go to space and fight robots. And it's great. Or we read but never talked about The Ink All by Mobius, which similarly, The Ink All is a little bit different because we read it in a big collected hardcover. That is all of those folios that went back to back put together. But it was also released in like 50, 60 page chunks once a year. But that was even a little bit different for the European comics market at that point. And it's not something that a lot of people do. So this probably felt a little bit weird to us as American comic book readers. Like, what is the 60 page random story I just read? But this is like very run of the mill how they do it in Europe. And European comics have a much more prestige than they do in America. Like I would say comic saturation is at its highest in Japan, where it is pretty culturally normal for everyone to read manga. And manga has Japanese comics have swept the world. Like everybody reads manga all the time. Um, European comics are seen as like an art, auteur art form. It's like releasing an album of music to put out a comic. And then in America, because I mean, <laughs> I don't know if y'all know this, but we invented them, baby. It's one of the only things America invented is comic books, jazz and rock and roll, baby. And comics over here as an outgrowth of the newspaper industry have never really shaken their disposable nature in the American public conscious, except for the ones that like very much float to the top of the churning sea of comics, like everything else, even by the most devoted fans is relatively disposable. Thank you for the background. I, it's it's crazy to think it. I don't, I don't know. It's it's so different, and you can feel it reading it too. Just the the way that they approach writing these comics too is 
is different and unique. And I, I really, really want to get into it. But I, like first, we should probably talk about what the story is and what we thought of it. Definitely. Um, I can give a little light run through of the story just because I'm the one that picked it. But basically, yeah, like what Dal said, um, the main character of this is one of the classic musketeers, if you will. His name's Athos or Athos. Um, and we kind of follow him going through his going through his little life at the beginning like oh i'm a musketeer but i'm in the, in the modern world and i don't really have a job and they keep throwing me out of the bars and i don't know what to do and kind of just running around living his life he's a very cute little cat guy and he sees laser beams come down shooting down in france and he's like oh my gosh death race from the sky and he tries to go and round up his buddies and his buddies are like dude get lost we had our time several hundred years ago. Get out of here. And he basically just like <laughs> shenanigans his way to Mars, which is the best way I can explain it. <laughs> just chaos out here. It's just chaos out here. And we meet this fun cast of Martians who I feel like are the funniest, kookiest little characters. The king. That king. <laughs> The king is so funny. He's but so just- funny. When he's asking the guard if the guard likes his job, and the guard is like, I don't know if I should answer that question. <laughs> he's trying to make small talk page. with the guard. <laughs> next page. He calls for the guard, and a different guy walks in, and he goes, oh, wh- where, where's the other one? Um, Sir, I, I think he jumped out of that window over there. <laughs> like, what? And the new one's got the little buck teeth, so you know it's a different one. <laughs> different one. <laughs> <laughs> oh it just is like moments like that like this is so chuck full of just like silly little moments that now, now how does one destroy a laser beam what now how does one destroy a laser beam eh, probably the old-fashioned way old-fashioned way shoves a rock in it <laughs> <laughs> see it's just like just light-hearted fun like slapstick that's exactly dallas put it exactly right that's exactly what it is and it's I kind of commented earlier to Dallas also through text that I really find these extremely endearing because I love cartoons. I have loved cartoons for years and th- like this type of artwork and this like humor is very much reminiscent to me of like some of my favorite cartoons. And I know Dallas also has a couple of shows that he likes, but Anne, what do you think of like this art style and this writing style? It's, it's the part about the comic that is the most endearing to me, but also the most confusing in a way. Cause I'm just, I've spent the last 24 hours since I finished this, just kind of thinking about what makes this work. Cause I know a lot of times in Western comics, one of my favorite things to look for is like expression. I love seeing over-the-top exaggerated expressions on people's faces. I love it when it happens in comics like Giant Days or Sunstone. I love when emotion is like the punchline of the joke, you know? And reading through this book, it's very static in a way where it just feels like you can read it and it feels like the emotions and the tone and the um, the action is all like monotone. It's It's monosyllabic. There's like 
the the baseline and it stays there for like most most of the story even in the motions of like high tension or high action like the moment where athos finally confronts the um i forget his name but i'm going to i'm going to call him mr evil musketeer on mars and there's that moment where he's go- he's he's goading him and he's like trying to get him to fight and there's a single beat of just like a dead stare and then they start crossing sabers and I don't know. Like I'm, I'm looking at the face and I'm trying to realize, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the emotion in it. And I real, <laughs> and I realize even though I can't like discern if it's supposed to be angry or just plain, I, I feel the emotion anyway. I feel that it is a beat that happened for a reason. And even though the emotion isn't clear in the face, I still felt it. And it's weird that way. Cause I didn't expect it. And it's one of the things where it's like, I don't think it'd work if this was like a Western comic, a lot of the beats feel very similar to me of like, um, to like, um, Calvin and Hobbes or any other, um, weekly Sunday funny comic. That is the closest I can relate what we have in America to what I'm reading on the page here. It's a very simplistic, colorful art style that still easily and effectively conveys a lot of humor. And it's just, I'm, I've been the most interested to hear both of your takes on it because I just, I'm trying to figure out how exactly he made it work. I feel like for me, something that I really picked up on is just like the pacing of the different panels. Like, I feel like a lot of the jokes, I mean, I know I mentioned a second ago, the interaction with the King and the guard, but just like, the traditional nine panels on the page and just seeing this conversation, like I'll just basically the King is just like waiting to see if they have found the musketeer that's loose in their castle. And the guard runs up to him and he's like, we, we haven't seen him. Like just letting you know, we haven't seen him. I haven't seen him yet. And the King goes, what time is it? Then he goes, and the guard goes, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a watch, sir. I don't carry a watch. The King hands him his own watch. (laughs) And has the guard read him the time off of his own watch. And then the, just the next panel is just them standing silently next to each other. Just <laughs> staring at each other. And it's just like very simple, but so funny that everybody can understand that feeling of like awkward. And then when they like look away from each other, like, oh, we're just like awkwardly standing here. Like that's something that everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why it works for me like it's very understandably funny just in our social norms of being a human being Mm -hmm. that's what i feel like it works for me yeah and i I, just thinking about it like a little bit more trying to maybe overanalyze here i'm not sure if i if i am or not but just scenes like that we go back to the king on his throne so many times and he's just sitting there and the, the, you know, the unspoken joke is just, he's so fucking bored. He just sits in the big chair and he has to have his, his guards come in and inter- entertain him in any way, any way they know how. Like he has the watch. He has to hand it to someone else though, to tell him the time because he is the king. He has all the power. He has all the control, but nothing to do. And it makes even more sense when you find out later, it's like, oh, you run into the scientist. He's like, oh, by the way, um, the reason we're fighting Earth is because we want to take their oxygen because we're going to run out of oxygen soon. But I made a machine that's going to just fix the oxygen for us. But the king decided he'd rather go to war. And it's the, so it's, it, it 
you put two and two together, it's like, oh, the king wants to go to war because it's a breakup from the monotony that he's having. And it's just unspoken storytelling that makes the whole thing work. It's not like the most deep emotional story you're ever going to have in your entire life, but I feel like there's bits to it that you can explore and go a little deeper in. And I love that. I think that's really, really neat. Well, and I also just think that the comic does such a good job of being absurd. And so those flat performances, for lack of a better word, from the cast make the absurdity funnier. Like every time the princess just socks somebody in the guts, it feels very peanuts. Specifically just her boyfriend. (laughs) I feel very seen by that. Just like, you know what? (laughs) Everybody has one note. But that one note plays into the absurd premise and absurd situations for a beat. And so, again, because we know what note to expect from that character, we get to be a part of the punchline, even though it's a one note punchline every time. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a backwards joke where the punchline is not necessarily the joke. It's how crazy the setup to get to the known punchline is mm-hmm. that keeps it entertaining. It feels like it's like a, a contrast thing where it's like the storyline is the, the the tone of the characters is so so flat so so right here but the absurdity of the story is all over the place. I feel like if you swerved too much into the wackiness of the characters and the story it's just like it's too much. It's like a a chocolate cake with chocolate icing and chocolate chips. It's just too rich. It's got too much of the same thing. You need contrasting flavors there to make the parts of chocolate pop out rather than just be overwhelming. Hey now. I'm not sure if that analogy makes sense. I just came up with it. You keep chocolate name out your mouth. You keep chocolate cake out your mouth. Listen, you can't have too much chocolate. Chocolate is so fucking rich. You cannot have chocolate cake with the chocolate icing and the chocolate chip. I love that shit. I would eat that in a heartbeat, lady. I would eat that. In a heartbeat. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. I want to feel my arteries clog as I eat that cake. I swear to God. There's... There's some really popular cookies out here called Levain cookies, and Addison doesn't like them because the cookie is 84% chocolate chip. Like, there's the cookie is just there to hold together the pile of chocolate chip, and Addison is like, I don't like these. It's all chocolate chip. And I'm like, that's the whole point, and I love them. I'm essentially eating a giant chocolate chip with some breading around it to make me feel nice. Once again, ask, asking for Addison to be on this podcast because she's the only one here with taste. But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. The only problem is she don't like comics. Um, <laughs> That's the other problem here. <laughs> I think Jason has such a specific feel to his comics. Like No one else makes comics quite like this. His other big one... If you are wanting to get into his comics and you want to read them, I think this is one of the best places to start. The Last Musketeers, the one I started with when Brad Gullickson told me to check it out. And then that was like a year ago. And then I Killed Adolf Hitler is the other great one. That's about a time traveler who, I mean, the title tells it all. He kills Adolf Hitler. And that one is pretty pretty great i was looking through the fantagraphics list of all jason's graphic novels i mean comics and um yeah i saw that one i'm like why didn't we read that one (laughs) that feels like a a feel-good time that i would have greatly enjoyed not that this one wasn't 
But, you know, everyone needs a little bit more Hitler murder in their life, I think. I'll add it to my list. Yeah, listen, there's plenty of room for Jasons. There's another one where all the great 20th century writers like Faulkner and Hemingway have to team up to rob a bank because they aren't making enough money Mm -hmm. as graphic novelists. (laughs) There's um, I just looked at the the first line for this one. It's called If You Steal. It just says this anthology of off kilter anthropomorphic short comics by Jason feature Frida Kahlo as a contract killer and much more. Yep. Yep. Okay. That sounds rad. Okay. I'm telling you, the premise is always wild, but there is always that reference to larger culture that I love a lot. Mm -hmm. Something I love a lot about European comics, and this is going to be a very American view of things, (laughs) just heads up, but they always feel very cultured. Like they feel when you read a Batman comic, there is no assumption that you're going to know who Frida Kahlo is. But when you read a European comic, they assume that you also have gone to the Louvre and you have gone to all of these beautiful cities. You've soaked in the culture and they they write to a cultured audience. And as someone who hasn't necessarily been shown all of these same cultural touch points, one of my favorite things in the world is when a book or a show or a a story I love references other stories within it because then I get to go and check out more. Like that's one of my favorite things Stephen King does is he's always having his characters reference books that they like in the stories. And then I get to find out all these other great books to go and read. And Jason seems to do that same thing Mm -hmm. where he's like, Hey, if you loved the last Musketeer, maybe actually read the three Musketeers book. Because this is a sequel to that, where one of the Musketeers is dead, mm-hmm. and the villain is here who we thought was dead, but turns out he wasn't. And you like, it's fun. It's it can be read on its own. I've never read the Three Musketeers, but reading this makes me want to go back and find out about all these characters. Is that gonna be your next project? You going straight to the Musketeers next? No, I have done enough nineteenth-century fiction for the foreseeable future. I read every Sherlock Holmes story oh. over the course of a month. And that was the f- most fun project in the world for the first half. And then for the back half of that project, that was like smoking the whole pack of cigarettes. And if I ever see Sherlock Holmes again, it will be too soon. Like I, uh, you've got an enemy in me, Sherlock Holmes. No, just kidding. He's still amazing. I love him. <laughs> my best friend. I've decided today I'm going to get a wiener dog named Watson so I can have Watson the Dotson. And I'm going to be like, come oh on, my me, Watson. God. What, shall we, what shall we do, Watson? And I'll be like, oh, Mr. Holmes. That, let, us go look at the, let us go I, look I, at the water heater, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> like, it, it'll be perfect. Oh, I can't believe it, though. I've never seen anyone who's read themselves out of house and homes before. Get out. Get out of here. Get out of here. It's what you it's what you have me on here for. It's, it's definitely not the comic takes. It's just good puns. I don't know. Like so again, this is your first European comics. Is that me making assumptions? Like Anne and Lexi, are you big European comics readers? <laughs> definitely not. I think the only time I've read one before has been the Incal. And I don't I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever read any like actual Tintin. I've seen the Tintin movie, but I haven't read Tintin yet. Okay, Herge, um, listen, Nazi sympathizer. So, what? Get that out there. Jesus <laughs> yeah, Christ! What's up one. with the the like the must read European comics? It's like mm. there's the Incal, and then you find out about 
Jordowski or whatever his name is. And then you're telling me this about Tintin now? Jesus Christ. Yeah, we, we do got to throw that out there. Herge revolutionized European comics. Also, definitely picked the wrong side of World War II. Um, so that's no good. Doesn't really come up in the Tintin comics. Like, never are you reading Tintin. There's no Tintin. There's no Tintin hangs out with Adolf Hitler, but there is a background story where uh, that is something that uh, they did, which is nuts. But yeah, like I've never, that is such a losing team decision there. Fully crazy. That's rough. That's rough. Comics are pretty, Tintin comics are pretty great. Um, I want to know your feelings then about European comics in general, based off of this one exposure to it. But this is a very classic style. The like 16 panel grid, big square page, um, sort of idiosyncratic, very referential to larger culture around them. Um, Art style, unlike anything that we have here in the States. Mm. What did you think? Like, did this tone resonate with you? Do you want to explore more European comics? Did it feel like a fun diversion from the more accustomed American sensibilities? But no, we've read Always Never. That's a that was a French comic. Oh, true. Yep, that comic was I very... recommended everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was very Western, though, like in its approach. Like, yeah. It's a fun comic, but it feels more of a piece with what's going on in America than what's going on. It, with other European comics. It feels like a good halfway point. Like if you start with Always Never and then go into Jason, it's going to ease you into it really nicely, I think. But Lexi, I'm going to let you take this one first. Definitely. Um, Honestly, hot take. I think I like it more than Western. I mean, you and you and the rest of the world are yeah. on the same page there. So that's a warm take. But... um. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like for me, when I sit down to read, oftentimes in the type of life that I have right now, like with my work and my home life and everything, I feel like I don't really have a lot of time to sit down with a 300-page graphic novel or all of these big collections of comics. But I would, But I love the feeling of a complete story. If that makes sense. Like, I oh, I can definitely appreciate a single issue. I love them. I love when they come together into a big whole, into a big whole collection. But there is something so pleasing and great to just sit down and have a 50-page whole story that is entertaining has its own characters has a extremely fun art style and also a type of comedy that I feel like I could hand this to my mother and she would enjoy it you know like Mm -hmm. I don't feel like a lot of comics over here in the U.S. I can do that there are some I'm I would be lying if I said there weren't but I feel like this is a format that can appeal to such a large audience. Like that some like someone who doesn't quote unquote like comics can like something like this. Mm-hmm. So I, I can really like it a lot. Yeah, I can definitely vibe with that. I think that's a great 
great way of looking at it. I think the thing that interests me and intrigues me the most about a book like Jason after reading something like Always Never or reading like The Ink Hal is knowing that there's an entire untapped, well, for me at least, since I haven't read too many, just an entire untapped section of this of this medium that just is left out there to be explored. It's like an unknown new frontier. And I love that because I love seeing the new ways that this this medium can be used and seeing the ways that stories can be told here. Because I think that when Western comics are at their best, it's when they're trying something new. Whether it's you have um you're trying something new with different characters and their characterizations, if you're talking like big two comics, or if it's talking about like indie comics where you get into the really fun things where they try things with different styles. And I feel like you get a lot of variety in that. Like you have comics like Hedra, um, which are going to be different than comics like Fatal, which are going to be different than comics like um, Sex Criminals or even, um, sorry, I'm just trying to, even something like Department of Truth. I love the way that comics in the West will really try to, to break things up with like how they're told, the art in which they're telling them, and the way, I, I really love the way they um, differ in paneling. I think about... Um, Valhound's comic that came out not too long ago, um, And We Love You, where the entire story is told, the paneling is told in the blood of this woman who's bleeding out on the battlefield, and you see all of her memories, all of her life draining out of her body as the story is being told. And I think stuff like that is is mind-breaking and awesome and great. And to know that there's an entire um, market of comics that are told in a completely different way with storytelling that differs in ways that I haven't thought about or seen yet is incredible to me. And I think it's one of the things that reminds me of like, sometimes as comics fans, we do, we do ourselves such a disservice by picking one area and sticking with it. Whether it's like, I only read superhero comics or I only read manga or I only read um, noir books or I only read um, Westerns, whatever that box is that you like to like your lock yourself into because it's your comfort place it's what makes you happy it's what brought you in the comics you know it's 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 the safe place it's the place where it's like i know i'm gonna like what i find here but it's really really cool getting to like stretch your legs a little bit and just think outside the box because it's such a creative and imaginative and boundless art form and i it's just a silly comic about um a, a cat musketeer that goes to mars to fight martians is is making me feel like this but it's it's it it really is just extraordinary and i think it's something that i know a lot of people out there would get a kick out of and i hope everyone listening takes that to heart there's just so much out there that is left to be explored and it's just it, it makes me excited if i had to just sum it up in one word it the, the reading this comic makes me excited and I think what's also delightful about Jason's comics specifically, most of them are included with a Comixology Unlimited subscription. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like you can read, we read this for free to us. Um, like not really free, you pay the subscription service, but like we didn't have to spend any extra money to read this. And I just, like Anne said, I think it opens you up to more of the medium that we love so much i think the thing i love most about jason and i can't remember if alexis texted this to me or if it was said earlier in this episode but it was compared to a grown-up calvin and Hobbes, 
where, and what I think we're getting at there is this with its squared off panels set in four panel bursts across the page is it relies so much on the pacing of newspaper strip comics where these panels tell you the order in which you need to have your setup, your inversion, your punchline setup, inversion, punchline. And it's just very easy to follow. And it's very fun to get into that rhythm. And something I realized in trying to share Alison Bechdel's fun home with my wife, Addison recently, she, she talked about how hard it is to read the art of that page. Like she read a page. She's like, Oh, that's nice. And I was like, that's nice. Like that was emotionally gutting. Like, look at this. And I walked through and I was like, look at the expression on this character's face right now. Look at how these panels juxtapose each other. And she's like, Oh, I didn't even register any of that. Like I, she's like, I read the words. I looked at the picture and was like, that was a nice illustration to the words. And, and yet when we look at comics that have stricter paneling, they really resonate with her. And I think it's because they're it's a difference between like a classical piece and a jazz piece where like there are rules here. There is craft here. This is something that you can come in and understand without having to be in the deep end that you do with some of the other more avant-garde comics. Like the one you're describing Anne earlier about Fellhound and the paneling coming out of someone spilling blood. Like that is beautiful. That is evocative. And I feel like that is terrifying as a first comic for somebody to read, <laughs> to be like, follow this page. Like I think of the comic book pretty deadly and the marvelous splash pages in that. And I was like, how do you hand that to someone and be like, all right, yeah, you're going to, read it in like a left to right zigzaggy Z pattern, except for the times that you don't. And also you should kind of take this all in at once, but also be willing to break it into its smaller pieces. And this art form that we love so much can be very overwhelming because we're essentially asking people this whole scene from a movie, we're going to put all the stills on the page at the exact same time. And we want you to interpret that and then move on to the next page where the next scene all plays out all at once. And the structured jokes and the strict paneling of Jason allow you to just flow with it and just have fun with it. And I think that's why so many people love something like Calvin and Hobbes, something like Charlie Brown. That's why newspaper strip comics, even right now, today, are so beloved because they are punchy, simple, and funny. Like there is... We undervalue funny so much for how much we all love it. And I think Jason's comics are so funny. And the four panel structure they use is perfect for that joke telling. Rant over. Love it. We love a good Dallas rant. Especially when it's a good one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 now we just let him sit with that. Let him know that sometimes it's not. It's not a good rant sometimes. Just think about it, Dallas. You've had bad rants before. We've never told you. Never told you about the bad rants. <laughs> I always know when it's a clunker. <laughs> That's such a mood. Right. I feel that. 
I appreciate that no one on Twitter has ever called me out when I've definitely had nothing to say in an episode. I really, really appreciate it because it's happened so many times where I'm like, oh my God, um, comic good. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Sometimes and then everyone's like, hey, great episode. <laughs> you had so much. To, yeah. You had so much to say. That was awesome. Like, yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. We, no. what, what episode was that where we just were like, it's a good comic. Just read it. I think the last time I remembered it happened was like Mooncakes. Was that what was yes. that about? That yeah, that's the one. So, uh, yeah, that's one really? I remember the most being like, it's good. I swear. It's good. I, I have nothing to say. No thoughts, but it's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> what did you think of? This idea of taking one of the three musketeers and not only setting him in the real world, but then launching him into space to Mars to interact with these crazy Martians fight robots like high concept here. This is an insane comic book. We've talked about the jokes. We've Mm -hmm. talked about the characters. I need five seconds (laughs) at least from each of you talking about whether or not this insanity was fun for you easy to follow and something that you want another taste of <laughs> well, was it oh go lexi oh sorry i was just gonna say as someone whose favorite tv show is futurama this is not my first rodeo with somebody getting shot into space out of their time stream it's great you heard it here folks if you're a fan of matt groening's futurama check out jason's the last musketeer Dude, it, it might be up your alley um no, listen, I think this is the the best thing that people can do with like um with anything that's in the public domain. Um forget trying to like modernize shit. Like oh Winnie it's like what if Winnie the Pooh was a slasher? No, fuck that. What you do is you snatch and grab and you mash together. You take the three musketeers and you grab Ray Bradbury's soul and you smash them together. And you say, this is what I made. This is what I did. Do you love it? Of course you do. It's fucking fantastic. Like this had, um, what am I, what am I thinking about? The, like, um, it's not the Martian Chronicles, is it? It's, um, <sighs> John famous of Mars. No, 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 not, not Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Um, God damn it. It's skipping. You know, that moment where it's like you, you just lost the most obvious thing in the world like i was thinking about this tile like five minutes ago god t- give me a second yeah it is the martian chronicles you just let me flounder there and i said the right thing girl i've never read it so what am i how am i supposed to confirm like yup you that thing read, i never read you should You're read right. the martian chronicles they're really great it's this exact type of sci-fi like campiness and it's great i've never read any rad Bra- ray bradbury even though i know i should i know it's a bad blind spot never read any <laughs> Like, when you think, like, um, classic, like, 50s, 40s sci-fi, like, you know, this one feels like, and you see those spaceships and the ray guns, a lot of that comes from, like, Bradbury and the Martian Chronicles. It's Sounds it's really, really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's why I suggested it. You know, <sighs> might be wrong, like I was with Stephen King. You know, it, it could happen again, theoretically. So true, bestie. <laughs> Listen, I will keep dragging you kicking and screaming away from superhero comics and you keep dragging me kicking and screaming into adult literature (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a fair trade that is a fair trade we're both helping each other heal i'm like there's a lot of good things over here in fantasy 
And you're like, read anything else. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was trying to capture the lightning thief again. And you're like, get over here. And then you're like, Dallas, but did you see they're doing Power Girl really poorly again? <laughs> and I'm like, please, the comics. And I'm over here just like, please read books about fairies. I promise they're good. Alexis is like, I have literature pornography for sale. Would anyone like pornography? (laughs) Both of us are like, yes, please, actually. Thank you. Mm, A little sacrifice. Mm. A little literature. Mm. (laughs) I always feel I'm always like crossing my legs like someone's middle aged auntie reading those books like good for her yeah good for her get it this week i've been i will admit sorry no you continue carson Carson told me this week that sarah j mass has become public enemy number one in our house because i have (gasps) spent an unrealistically long amount of time reading this week and he's like i swear (laughs) she is public enemy number one and he found and printed off a picture of her and put it on our fridge and labeled it public enemy number one. <laughs> I was like, all right. Good for Carson. I will take that. I was like, joke's on you. She's the reason you're getting laid, but okay. <laughs> Spill that tea. Tell you. him. You don't know what's in here. <laughs> you're telling me it wasn't the last musketeer? <laughs> hey. Maybe. Finish off. We can talk. Can we talk about how great the princess was? I love her. Oh my gosh. When she, <laughs> when, when her dad was like trying to freaking mind control her, and she was like, no, that's not going to work. And then tried on her boyfriend, and then she went sucker punched him, and he was like, I wasn't going to do anything. She was like, just checking. Just make sure. I just wanted to do that. She, she Listen, she had one move, and it's worked <laughs> for the whole story so far. <laughs> I loved when the musketeer played dead and it fooled the Martians. And he's like, I guess don't have that one here yet. <laughs> that was he's an A-plus joke. Kicked the, soup, kicked the soup bowl. Actually, that was an H.G. Wells reference. Um, the Martians just hadn't have developed the immune system for that yet. So, you know. So true, bestie. Yeah. So true. See, I can catch that illusions. Me, that made me so mad as a kid. The first time War of the World. I watched Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. And I was like, this is incredible. This is a, they sneezed on them. <laughs> they sneezed on them. I turned into that little, I turned into a little boy version of that vampire from what we do in the shadows. I'm like, excuse me. They sneezed them. I was upset. Your honor, straight to jail. I mean, I was just, Wells. I was I was happy because it was a happy ending. I didn't really care how we got there. I liked that they um they took that metaphor a little seriously in Independence Day, though. Um, that was very cool. Updating the virus, <laughs> taking out because you didn't update your um, Norton Ware antivirus. Independence Day is a ten out of ten movie. I don't care what anyone says. No notes. I think this comic was good. And I think it was funny. I think sometimes it's hard to talk about why something is funny other than just being like, it is very funny. But I, I genuinely laughed out loud multiple times reading <laughs> this comic book. And that is hard to do. It's hard to get an actual out loud chortle 
from me about anything. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> so true. You nailed me there. <laughs> That's exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> Those are the big laughs. I'm no, like Santa I... Claus on helium. <laughs> you're no, you're uh... so true though. It's just you can't talk about it without feeling no. like you're trying too hard to over-explain the joke. Like, do I, know, you I feel like to- I'm up here, like, explaining it to little kids sitting on, like, a carpet in kindergarten. Like, okay, here's the joke. I'm holding it up for you. But yeah. it's good. It's just funny. You don't believe us? Just read the, the comic. It's 50 pages. It'll take, like, 30 minutes. It's a lunch break comic. There you go. I'm sick and tired of you two talking about how long it takes you to read comic books. Because I always feel bad about myself. I didn't know I was a slow reader until I started reading the exact same books as Anne and Alexis on a regular basis. And apparently I'm just an ugly little slow reader. That's consistently. I buy a new 800 page book from Sarah J. Mass every single week for the last five weeks. Yep. Those are oh the physicals. Yeah. Girl, you're wild. Yeah. That's why Sarah J. Mass is on my refrigerator. Public enemy number one. Right there. I would say I did the same for Brandon Sanderson, but no, I just listened to those. I love Brandon's my bitch. I'm excited to get back into Stormlight. Warbreaker was okay, but like that was a fight. It's not the buddy. I don't know what you were thinking. Brandon aged like fine wine. Good for him. Yeah, that listen, you got to have a miss or two. Um, I genuinely cannot tell. I'm gonna have to mute Anne's number when she reads the Wax and Wayne Mistborn books because. (laughs) The amount of correct frustration she'll feel while still reading them because they're a blast. Mm-hmm. Like you read them, but there are a few like Anne related strays in those books that I'm like, I am not ready for these text messages. Yeah. No, listen, listen. I need you to know when I send those texts, nine out of 10 times, they are so tongue in cheek that like it's, it's, it's insane. Like everyone must think I'm an insane person because I sit there cackling to myself as I send them because I'm like, <laughs> she <laughs> I'm going to make Dallas she owns I hate everything. <laughs> she knows how to get our goat and she owns it now. Yep. She it's... does own my goat. <laughs> it's a hell of a fun time. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I I'm feel so, deeply I'm just frustrated. over here waiting for her to, to get the goat of a court of Mr. Fury. I'm like, please take it. Take the goat. <laughs> Say something problematic, please. Say something problematic, please. Wrong co-host, Alexis. I think we lost her. She missed my joke. Rats. She looks great, though. That's a mm-hmm. great frozen That's image of Anne. Very cute frozen Im- frozen yeah, Anne. Geez. Very cute. Good for her. Her hair, her hair is going, going off, yeah. Her smile looks great. I might mm-hmm. screenshot this, honestly. Good for Anne. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> Go off queen. Go off queen. A cute frozen queen. So, Lex, should we do listener questions? Yes, we should. Thanks to both of our friends who sent some. Um, I guess I can read the first one. I have it right here. Um, first one from our dear friend, Glenn. Uh, dear musketeers. <laughs> Musca queers in some cases. Appreciate that, Glenn. Appreciate that. Uh, favorite Musketeers adaption in TV or film, if any? Mm. Mm, I do love the Mickey Mouse one. Got yeah, to be honest. Say, Mickey Mouse. Gonna say Mickey Mouse version. Say, damn, is that the only one I know? 
That might be the only Musketeers adaptation I know. I feel like I've seen one with my father at some point. That seems very on brand for him. Um, the Mask of Zorro. There you go. Oh, oh that's, that's such a good one. That yeah, but it has nothing to do with the Three Musketeers. But that's, I mean, he, so he should count. He should Zorro count. Is he has like, like the tiny sword. He should count. Yeah, exactly. He's the cooler version of the Musketeers. He's what the Musketeers want to be. So um, true. They wish they were Antonio Banderas. Excuse me. And Wikipedia is telling me there is a Barbie and the Three Musketeers. Oh my god, I forgot about that one. Oh, that is so much better than Mickey Mouse. So much better than Mickey Mouse. They have such cute outfits too. Dallas, look it up. They have such cute outfits. Fine. I'm I feel on bad it. for the bitch that had to wear the blue one though. It's rip. Also, um, that pink, purple, and blue. <laughs> Rude. Unironically, my favorite was the um, the Tom and Jerry ones, the Two Musketeers. <gasps> Oh, that was a good one too. Gosh, you're so right. Also great. Oh. We know more. We're cultured. Animated. Animated is the best. I love a good cartoon. Oh, yeah. Remember how I said I love a good cartoon? Case closed. Always. Always a good cartoon. Always. Good question, Glenn. Thank you. That's oh, a good question. There's on the Barbie. There's four? <gasps> they got an extra pitch in there. <laughs> Quit swearing. The dog is also upset that there are four. Junie says, watch your tongue. Uh, anyway, Ed writes in, hello, collective, question mark. I like that, Ed. Hello, collective. <laughs> um, my question these weeks are, one, in order to be the last musketeer, you must be able to cut through a lot of plants, uh, i.e. giving you quite the moss chops. Question two, Ed. <sighs> I refuse to acknowledge these anymore, Ed. Two, have you seen Zero Calciker's tier series on Netflix slash read any of his works? I don't think so. No, I don't have Netflix anymore, Ed, because I can't pay for it. And my uh, the ne- man who owns Netflix kicked me off my mother's. So, rude. That's crazy, because he didn't kick me off, which makes me laugh. That makes me so bitter. Don't even I talk to me. I live across the country and I'm still on her Netflix. So I don't know how you, that makes 10 me minutes so from bitter. her home, got kicked off. But that Gotta rules. get a VPN. Can, can VPNs get around that? I have no idea because it hasn't know. come up yet. I'm across the country and they're like, same house for sure. Mine is like, listen here, bitch. Get out of here. And when Disney Plus does that, like they just announced that they're going to, I'm going to cry. Isn't that how you how- watch Futurama? No, that's on Hulu. That's why Hulu is superior. No one can change yeah. my mind. Yeah, Disney's grown-up streaming service. Green yeah. Disney. Green Disney. Hulu. Yeah. So I'm going to have to check those out because there's Tear Along the Dotted, the Dotted Line and This World Can't Tear Me Down, both on Netflix as we speak. Yeah, nope. Never even heard of it mm. at no, all. Not that. Oh, Netflix does such a great job marketing things, you know? so true true <laughs> um question number three more for dallas toss toss where do you find out about books like always never slash the last musketeer or in other words how are you so much cooler than everybody else around how do you have such impeccable taste such a great tush in those new jeans well ed let me tell you um i other cooler people than me i have to be 100 percent honest always never I picked up because the comic book writer or comic book journalist Ritesh Babu 
said he really liked it. And I tend to really like the comics that he likes. And so he tweeted about that. And I was like, oh, I'll check it out. Um, like I said earlier in this, The Last Musketeer and Jason Comics in general. I got from Brad Gullickson of the comic book Couples Counseling Podcast. And like some other bangers that I love, like Headlopper, I got from Matt Draper. Uh, my heroes, or I'm sorry, my favorite thing is Monsters, also Matt Draper. And then there was a great issue of Panel X Panel from Hassan uh, Otsman Elhau, who is a professional comic book letterer now. But his work of comic book criticism on both his YouTube channel, Strip Panel Naked, and the Eisner Award-winning comics magazine, Panel X Panel, like those will put you onto so many cool comics. And honestly, I would say it's just all about finding comics journalism, comics podcast that you like, and then reading the stuff that the people who talk about the stuff you like are also reading. Like so much of comic books is about socialization and finding your niche and comic book Twitter if you want to get into superhero comics is a pretty good source, but if you want to get into anything else, you will have to work a little harder to find strong voices in the comic book space talking about them. And that's mm-hmm. where I find them. So hopefully our show is a little bit of that for you as well. Like we love making the show. I'm sure there are people who listen to the show without reading the books, but this is our curated list of comics. We think you should check out. And then if you read a comic and like it, read more things from that creator. Like, we're so used to being like, oh, that was great. I love Spider-Man. I'm going to read more Spider-Man. And changing your brain to be like, oh, that was great. I loved that. I love Spider-Man. What else did Roger Stern write? You know, that I think like that shift for me was huge for finding new comics. I would have to agree. Like, everyone keeps giving me credit for them reading Always Never. And I need you to stop because I got it from Dallas. The only reason I know that comic is because of Dallas. Everyone knows me as the Giant Days person, but I only know Giant Days because of other people talking about Giant Days on Twitter. It, it's cool to like be in those spaces where you find all the best comics because you know the best people. And just trying things that look fun. It's, it's And always- also, 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 search. I know this is like the most basic girl shit to do. But search best comics of whatever year you're in and then click Mm -hmm. on the not CBR or comic book release. Like the superhero websites, don't click on those. Click on like AIPT Comics usually has a great one. Comic book couples counseling. Like I love Brad and Lisa. They -hmm. consistently put me onto the coolest comics or the New Yorker is always talking about great comics and... There are also, and this is what I said earlier in the show. If you look at publishers like Fantagraphics and Drawn and Quarterly, they're always releasing cool crap. Like they are two comics what A24 and Neon are to movies, where it's like this brand name that doesn't mean like, it's not like a 24 sat down and made those movies, but they are a curated production company 
that is putting out movies that have a similar tone and a similar production value to them that if you like one, you'll probably like another. And I would say Fantagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, and Oni Press, those three together, are a pretty good smattering of non-superhero American comics that are high quality. And, like, I got Drawn and Quarterly's 25th anniversary omnibus. They didn't call it an omnibus, but it is. It's like a thousand-page hardcover book of just 25 years of the amazing comics that they put out. And they like they have a David Monsakelli comic in there that's like a slice of life amazing comic book. They have a ton of Adrian Tomini. They have a ton of Chris Ware. They have Art Spiegelman that's not Mouse, which is a huge blind spot for me. I love Mouse, but I haven't read any of Art Spiegelman's other masterworks. And are like Fantagraphics. I really like them. And so when I saw they were putting on a, an event in New York City for Daniel Klaus and his new book Monica, I was like, oh. I will go to that, even though I don't know anything about this person or this book. And he was amazing. And the book was amazing. And so I picked up another one of his books that I'm going to read called Eight Ball that turns out is a huge deal that was just a blind spot to me. And it's just that kind of stuff. Like, find the voice that you want and then dig out sideways from it a little bit. Listen to interviews mm-hmm. where people talk about what they love. Like, I love Tom King's comics. I love the artist he chooses to work with. So when he says his favorite artist of all time is Alex Toth, I go and I read Alex Toth's comics. And I see, oh, that's, yeah, you're right. Those are some of the greatest comics of all time. Alex Toth's Zorro is incredible. And he just, I don't know. You, you got to look more at the people than at the corporate characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I think another thing to to look at is like, look for the genres that you know you're picky about. Cause you know, you, if you find an artist and a writer who can do those stories well and they can satisfy you, like I'm very picky about horror and I'm also very picky about media that has anything to do with sex. Like if you search out the stories you love there, you will find more things to read. Like looking through horror comics. Um, actually, I'm, I don't know if I have a great example of that off the top of my head, but I'm thinking about like anything about Jeez, sexuality. I loved Sunstone. And so I breached out from like that general section. I'm like, what are other books like this? And I found Alice in Leatherland. And that's how I found um, Eliza, um, the the makers of a thing called Truth. Um, I'm forgetting her last name at the moment. It starts with a Z. Zabadabadooda. I mean, but that's it. It is a great, a great example of this. I think where all the people that followed James Tynan from Batman to something is killing the children and therefore into all of his other horror comics. Mm -hmm. I, I would say do that for more of your favorite creators. Yeah. To circle back, that was Eliza Romboli and Iolanda Zanfardino. I'm so sorry about taking a couple takes to get that right. But it's. I think that's also a great way to like help yourself branch out, is looking through those genres. Yeah, Lex, as someone who consistently has to find a lot of new comics to bring to the show and doesn't necessarily always want to do superhero stuff, how do you go about finding new comics to check out? Honestly... There's been a couple of times where I will just go um, 
onto like the homepage of Comixology and just like swipe through like what's new or like highlighted or like whatever because I'm like obviously somebody's reading these if they're here and so and honestly I know it's frowned upon but I very much judge a book by its cover nine (laughs) times out of ten so nice if it looks interesting I I probably will read more yeah that's such a that's such a good call out I remember when I was like Right before I, like, got into Twitter, right before the pandemic, like, 2018, 2019, when I started, like, really getting back into comics after kind of calling it quits for poor college me, um, one of the things that I really took advantage of was Comixology's sales, because they had sales going on at all times. And I would just browse through it. Anything that looked pretty and was really cheap, I just picked up, because it's, like, dropping, like, three bucks for a whole 400-page graphic novel or collection easy done i didn't take that big a risk i think that's that's wonderful and using resources like hoopla or your local library just trying out things for free i think is always always wonderful too because that's how i found comics like irredeemable and um just most of the ones i actually love that's how i found runaways for the first time just picked it off the shelf because it looked fun i also if you i realize I am in a lucky position where there are a lot of independent bookstores where Mm -hmm. I live. But if you go to non Barnes and Noble bookstores, they will usually have a graphic novel section. And those are rarely people who are like gung ho for superhero comics, but they love comics. And so whatever they've got in their section tends to be pretty cool. Like I am, there's a bookstore by me called McNally Jackson and their comic section is cool as hell. Like everything in there, I'm just like, everything I've read, I'm like, yep, that's a hot girl comic. And everything I haven't, I'm like, well, by association for being next to other hot girl comics, you've got to be a pretty hot girl comic. And it's just like, we love the direct market. <laughs> no, we don't. I actually hate the direct market. <laughs> but like, we love superhero comics. We love comic stores. We love this culture. But if you're wanting to branch out, you you have to do that. You have to branch out of that bubble of comic bookdom. The end. Hell yeah. Can I read the last question from Ed? Yes. Okay. So this is a very important question. I need you both to listen very, very carefully. This might be the best question we've ever gotten on the show. Who'd win in a fight? The Last Musketeer the Last Ronin, The Last Knight, The Last Jedi, The Last French Fry, or Mr. Rogers in a bloodstained sweater. Who wins? Yo, 100% Mr. Rogers. If he's in a bloodstained say, sweater... There's a reason his sweater is bloody. Yeah, something cracked. <laughs> something happened <laughs> to he, Mr. Rogers. He, he's not coming back. Also, we know that that last French fry is a weak-ass French fry. You know it's oh, soggy God. at the bottom of the bin. It it's didn't even pop a fight. First thing to go. It's smaller than like your pinky nail. It's mm-hmm. soggy. It's crunch. It's either soggy or it's extremely crunchy. There's Burnt. no in between. Nope. Also, going to throw it out there. Last Ronin, one of the most overrated comics of all time. Like it was fine, really? but the way the people talk about it, like it is the second coming of everything. It is the Dark Knightification of the Ninja Turtles, and but it's not as good as the Dark Knight Returns. Like I love the Ninja Turtles. I am happy for Kevin Eastman that he is getting to write Ninja Turtles, but like. It's not that good. 
It is not that good. And everyone just loves it because they get to be like, see, the Ninja Turtles have been serious all along. This is my version of hating The Dark Knight Returns. Because like, <laughs> I actually like The Dark Knight Returns quite a bit for what it is. But all those people that are like, I hate this because it's just making something that's supposed to be fun, deadly serious. That's how I feel about The Last Ronin. Like, this is stupid. This is stupid. And it's not even crafted well. Like, the story is not that interesting. Pacing, and it has pacing problems. Oh, so true, Bestie. I haven't read it. Um... You don't have to. <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Yeah, Mr. Rogers. Thank you, Ed. That's three for three. And with that, we have a special announcement. So if you don't follow us on our social medias, you may not be aware, but we, as the Comics Collective, were given press passes for New York Comic Con 2023, which, as you are listening to this, if you're listening on the day of release, begins tomorrow... Thursday, 10, 13, 10, 14, and goes through the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So if you see us walking around the convention center, say hi, say hello, take a picture with us. We are big fans of all of you, our dear listeners, and we want to say hello. So if you're at the con, make sure to say what's up. We will be there. We'll be walking around. You'll see us. We are big, tall, and post our pictures on the internet quite a lot. So mm-hmm. we're recognizable. One of my goals is I want, I'm want i going to try to print out like a little, my little comics Twitter icon and the little comics collective icon and try to put them on the badge somewhere. So even if you don't recognize me, you can recognize the icons. So they'll be there. That's I'll, I'll try to make it obvious. Also, I have never felt more famous than when I was in Midtown Comics, minding my own business, and I heard people talking about our show, and I got to turn and say, I'm actually Dallas from that podcast, and <laughs> they were both a little bit like taken back, but then like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy, and I was just like, I feel so famous, number one famous guy right now. And I want that to happen again at Comic-Con. So make sure to come and tell me I'm pretty. Oh, see, I haven't had that experience yet. I'm looking forward to it. I, I did have one of my friends, though. I was at um a, a fall harvest party. And one of my friends walked up to me. He's like, by the way, I need to tell you this. One of my coworkers is a big fan of you. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, she loves your fucking Twitter. She talks about your Twitter. I'm like, that is so out of body for me right now i can't like the the twitter has a number next to me how many people follow me i don't believe it though so the fact that i like came that close to running in one of them in the wild crazy i don't trust it it's it's gonna be fun i'm looking so far it's like do what it's like what i that's like when i remember uh when jeff smith followed me and i didn't follow him back for like six months <laughs> i told i told I mean, my like um, such a villain i was like i need to go straight to hell right now right now walking my way down there right now I actually told um, my friend Jared, who owns um, the comic store I go to, I told him about that this week, and he thought that was fucking hysterical. Oh, I feel like a villain. (laughs) Villain. (sighs) Origin story right there. Me. You want to hear a funny experience? I totally walked by James Tynan today in Brooklyn. We totally walked past each other, but I wasn't 100% sure, and I also didn't want to make a scene, so I said nothing. But I was like, I now know where you live. 
I know I I know your neighborhood. Because <laughs> he was like he was like walking through. Clearly his name he was in like going to the grocery store close. <laughs> and I was like, hey, we live pretty close to each other. <laughs> CEO of cool. So that was fun. Um <laughs> You see him at Comic Con like, hey, I saw you saw you in Brooklyn. He's like, I don't I don't live in Brooklyn. <laughs> like, he's like, who the fuck? <laughs> he's like, okay, cool. being such a freak. It's okay. I thought my um <laughs> We have fill-in pastors at church right now because our old one left and we're waiting for the new one to take over in the new year. And the one today, I swear to God, had the profile and the same voice cadence as Nick Cage. Heck yeah. I hope it was Nick Cage. I really, really do. I hope he was like method acting and he just showed up to the small church with like 10 people in attendance to be like, this is it. This is how I get get ready for this role. Outstanding work. Hell yeah. (sighs) Let's roll credits. Absolutely. Sorry, Juno's rooting through a bag behind me, right behind my microphone. So if you hear crinkling, that's what that is. Um, all right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And if you write one down, we will read it off on the show. And if you have any more comments or questions for us, like who would win in a fight between The Last Musketeer and The Last French Fry, please message us at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. Send us an email there and we will answer all your questions as long as they do not include the word moss chops. And we will see you next week for our Comic-Con wrap-up show and the book and this is a surprise to both Anne and lexi right now roaming by mariko and jillian tamaki it is their newest graphic novel which is about three friends going around new york city together and i grabbed the physical copy and i can hand it in person to alexis and Anne to read over the course of the weekend with whatever free time they have And then we can all reminisce about our time in New York and talk about this new amazing comic book from Drawn and Quarterly by the amazing creative team of Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. So don't miss out. It's going to be a good episode. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so fun. All right. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.